Howdy, everyone. I'm Carter. I'm Juliet. That person over there is <laughs> Juliet. We're very coordinated in our intros. You're watching Narrative Dissonance on Unsafe Space. Um, we're also we're on YouTube, Utreon. No, I don't know if we're still on Utreon. YouTube Odyssey and Rumble, at least. You can find us there. We're on Twitter at underscore Unsafe Space. Um, I was going to ask Juliet if I was missing anything. Press the subscribe button. Uh, go to unsafespace.com to support us. Let's see. Oh, this show is a show where we question the mainstream narrative. We have either panels of journalists on or people from outside the mainstream media to talk about stuff that uh, maybe is being ignored or is being misrepresented in mainstream. So welcome, everyone. Um, oh, book club. We have uh, our next book is The Satanic Verses, which is on September 25th. Uh, don't be afraid of that if you're religious. It's it's. Uh, I think it's a reference to like a real thing in the Quran. There's a section of the Quran called the Satanic Verses, which I learned from Keith actually, uh, and uh, it's a fiction book in reference to that. And then on October 30th, Juliet is hosting Slaughterhouse Five. That's our next book after Satanic Verses. So I'm I've never excited. read Slaughterhouse Five. Have you? You've read it before, and you're recommending it. I, I did. Yeah, I really liked it actually. And it's nice okay. and short compared to the ones we've been reading lately. It'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a nice change. <laughs> yeah, we have not made it easy on ourselves lately. So every time I thought we were going to take a break and read some fiction instead of some deep nonfiction, and Alex was like, "How about we read House of Leaves?" Which have you ever read House of Leaves? It's I like, did. It's, <laughs> it's worth it. If I know, but isn't it the like end, the most arduous book you've yes. ever picked up? It's <laughs> it's very, very hard work, but it's definitely it's one of those where you're like, okay, uh, uh, in the end, great book, but getting through yeah. it, yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely <laughs> didn't want that. Anyway, um, other this is one series on unsafe space. This this one narrative distance. We also have uh, four fifty one uh, degrees, which is with Alex Maselli, which is on. Tuesdays, I think there's one tomorrow. And then Rebel Civics and Dangerous Thoughts are on Wednesdays. Token Minority Report on Thursdays. Free Association sometimes happens on Friday. Or I guess the name implies we could do it whenever we want. So maybe that's when we do it. Um, all right, let's welcome this week's guest. <laughs> Zato says, by the way, Arduous is not really selling it. I know. I, it, it is. like, But you got to go in with both eyes open sato you got to you got to realize what you're getting into it's not you're not reading the cat in the hat um another excellent work of fiction though by the way uh, all right this week's <laughs> this week's guest is john sullivan john is born and raised in northern north central florida john found himself orphaned by the time he was 11 facing down poverty and abuse mr sullivan made a decision at a young age to turn his life over to knowledge now as an adult he shares his unique perspective on poverty race and the political regimes of our time. He's currently a staff writer at Wrong Speak Publishing. And personally, whenever I read a headline that says Florida Man, I think of John. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Sullivan96. John, welcome. Uh, wait, is he muted for everyone or just me? Oh. There we go. Hi. There you go. It's nice to be on the show, everybody. Sorry. Welcome back, John. Fantastic to be here. Love it. So, uh, I don't know where we should start because there's a lot you've written about a lot of different things since we last had you on. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. Uh, wide and I don't, range of content. 
yeah, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to steal the thunder on the one story that I uh, I know you're working on getting out. So I'm going to just give that very vague direction to you and let you say whatever you want to say about that, and then we can move on to some other stuff. Absolutely. Well, right now what I'm working on is this story. I interviewed a representative for the Nangahar province of Afghanistan's Ministry of Education to discuss the different educational issues in Afghanistan right now. From the poverty rate, the struggles reaching schools, the infrastructure problems, the obvious problems with supplies, to the issues with female education. I got a really great interview with him, got to go in-depth on the actual reasons behind the decisions being made by the government, and got to learn about some of the issues that they faced under the coalition forces and how that impacted education in the region. So it's going to be a really fantastic story, and I'm really looking to publishing it soon. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and and uh, I definitely want to chat with you after that's out. Um, but yeah, okay. Uh, so I won't I won't go any unless Juliet. Do you have a question about that that you want to make him feel uncomfortable about? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just that's awesome, and I I can't wait to read it. I think about the way we left Afghanistan all the time. So oh, yeah. I mean, it's it'll be yeah, I mean, horrible. It's it's a blight on our. Oh yeah, history. But um, yeah, it's a very black mark in, in the United States history. I think the amount of money we spent also is really terrible. Two point three trillion dollars, and nothing changed. Absolutely yeah. nothing changed in the region. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you could probably do something decent with two point three trillion dollars, even if you just gave it back to taxpayers or didn't print it in the first place. It would it would oh, work yeah. wonders. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe give it to Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, somebody who actually knows how to manage money. People talk <laughs> bad about billionaires all the time. And yes, there is a degree of people need to properly pay their taxes. But you can't tell me that the government will do more with the money they have than they will do with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of just, you know, returning it from it to its source. Uh, yep. So which unfortunately is typically the printing press. But um, <sighs> lately. Yeah, I mean, Afghanistan. I I I read a story the other day about this. It there's an argument to be made for it being much worse because even though the Taliban then before we went in, because even though the Taliban were in charge beforehand, um, a lot of rules weren't being enforced and people were looking the other way in ter- in terms of like some of the more stringent religious rules. And now they're actually being enforced. Uh, so it seems to be that. 20 years and 2.3 trillion dollars bought us a worse Afghanistan, many dead Afghanis and other collateral damage. Well, well I could so. explain that to a degree. Um the reason things have gotten more strict religiously is because these people faced invasion from Russia before the United States invaded the region. So many of the people in Afghanistan from old to young have never known a country that wasn't under strife from war of some kind. And that leads people to come together within their religion, and they cling more heavily to it. So in these moments where things are finally starting to look up, they view it as this is Allah bringing us out of the dark times, and we must now adhere more closely to the things he instructed us to do. And hopefully what we'll see in time is that the Afghani government will interact with other governments around the world and we'll see them loosen on some of that strictness and see the human rights start to really get elevated in the region again. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that <laughs> when it comes out. We can kind of move on. You've written about a few Absolutely. different things in the last uh, last month or two. Um, one of them I think that is relevant to a lot of what's going on now in Asia is is Taiwanese history. Do you want to just give us a uh, your perspective on kind of the current situation and you know how you think Absolutely. about Nancy's visit and everything else? <laughs> Absolutely. Well. While I don't necessarily approve of the United States attempting to stoke any issues with any foreign power, when it comes to this specific issue, we have the problem of we have a lot of other allies in the world that used to be provinces of China. South Korea and North Korea used to be the province of Manchuria in China before the first Sino-Japanese War. During the first Sino-Japanese War, Japan took both Taiwan and forced China to recognize Korea's Declaration of Independence from 1894. Um, because of that, if we continue to allow China to dictate these abstract borders from very old maps, we're going to see a lot more of our allies come under risk. We saw it with Tibet. They invaded Tibet and took large chunks of Tibet. We've seen it in India, where China is constantly contesting the border with India, constantly trying to expand it. And we've also seen it in Korea, where China contested the United States, pushing North Korea to the brink and allowed North Korea to survive. Um, we, we've seen a lot of times they make abstract arguments that some former government of China held these lands and had rights to these lands. Unfortunately, the former government that held rights to these lands was the Qing Dynasty. The Qing Dynasty ruled China for an extensive period of time, but fell in the early 1900s to revolution. They bundled a lot of economic policies that saw people starving and struggling in the region. And because of that, multiple revolutions rose up in an attempt to change the political structure within the nation from a dynasty to something more democratic. And during that time period, the Qing dynasty fell and the Republic of China rose up. That's when the Republic of China first appeared in the country. Um, they held large swaths of land. They controlled Taiwan. They negotiated with the world. They were founding members of the League of Nations, founding members of the United Nations. They held a seat on the United Nations Security Council until 1971. They have an extensive history as their own country after the lands were lost from the Qing Dynasty long before the People's Republic of China formed in 1949. Yeah. I mean, I think... My understanding is that, you know, it was Chiang Kai-shek who fled, right, I think, right? Was it was that who fled then to Taiwan uh, after the communists took over China? Yes. And the I, communists I so. never, they never went to China or sorry, to Taiwan. They, they kind of left him alone. Uh, um, initially, yeah. They, there were some skirmishes over islands, but initially they were mostly left to their own. Devices. But there's never been like a war in Taiwan. They never went and said, look, oh, we have to take Taiwan. No. They kind of let it go i think they were probably weakened and worried about their own issues on the mainland and so they kind of let it go but uh <laughs> kind of like oh but it's ours we're just you know like legally they would say we're issuing a waiver but it's not a continuing waiver we'll, we'll be back to get it later oh yeah um, 
it's, it's kind of one of those situations. Um, right after the People's Republic of China won the Civil War in 1951 um, and established themselves as the government of China, they immediately invaded Tibet, claiming that Tibet was a part of ancestral China and that they were fighting slavery in the region because admittedly, during the time period, the Dalai Lama did own slaves, not that he purchased, but that had pledged themselves to him out of religious belief that he was the Buddha. Um, but China's invasion of Tibet was absolutely brutal. Over one million Tibetan people were put to death. They completely shifted the ethnic balance of the region. There are more people of Chinese heritage in Tibet than there are people of Tibetan heritage in Tibet. Yeah. And now that they're finally done with Tibet and they have it kind of under control, they're starting to look to those other areas. They've had those skirmishes with Taiwan where they've taken several islands from them throughout history. And now Taiwan's kind of backed into a, a corner. They, they only have the one island left, and China is insistent that it's their land, not Taiwan's. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, have you... Have you taken a look at kind of what do you think modern China's plans are? Like looking at this, what do you think their plans are with Taiwan? Do you think they will do? I mean, they certainly there was a lot of exercises while Nancy was there. There was lots of like we're flying over the country and shooting some rockets around and, you know, like Jacob at the gates or whatever. Was it Jacob? Whoever was dancing around the gates. Jeremiah? Who, who, who danced around the gates? I don't remember. I do believe it was Jeremiah. Yeah, uh, it's been a while Jeremiah. since I've gone through some of the Old Testament. Yeah, uh, me too. But um, but so I, I think China has kind of two goals here. They're testing the waters on whether the international community will allow them to invade Taiwan with the Russian invasion of Ukraine by supporting Russia's claim to Ukraine and allowing arms to flow to Russia doing trade with them and basically supporting the Russian economy while the international community attempted to bankrupt it. China was really looking to see if together they could hold up a reasonable economy for their people through an invasion that cut them off from the outside world. And unfortunately, they, they were largely successful. They waited us out. Russia's beginning to ship gas back into Europe now. Trade's starting to pick up again. So the crimes in Ukraine are starting to come to light and support for Ukraine is starting to wane now. And I'm honestly concerned that China is going to see this as a positive in their efforts to take Taiwan. It's going to tell them that they can invade the island and face no major repercussions, that they can't just weather the storm through with Russia by their side. I've always been of the mind that China's not about to do anything like that because I view that as kind of stupid and unnecessary. But I'm starting to think that maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm not sure because, I mean... A hot war with Taiwan, I don't, I'm not sure what they really get out of it. Like, okay, they get the they get the island, but well, you know. roughly currently, roughly 65 percent of the world's semiconductor microchips are manufactured on the island of Taiwan exclusively. Um, since yep. 2019, a lot of the world started to ramp up microchip productions because of the threats from China to Taiwan. That was obviously very destabilizing. We've kind of seen it with the automobile market. A lot of companies started mass buying those chips ahead of time, fearing a war. And that's caused a backlog to where automobile manufacturers are starting to run out of those chips 
which they desperately need for the computers in modern cars. Um, by controlling a market that heavily, it's very similar to the control that Russia gets in Ukraine. Ukraine produces roughly 70% of the world's grain. So you're, you're stealing a major and important resource to the core infrastructure of many countries around the planet. And that will then cause them to shift allegiances away from the countries that are aligned against China right now. Yeah, but one difference is a hot war with Taiwan destroys the resource, right? It's not like it's not like fertile land where you can go invade and you might lose a season of crops and you plants again. I mean, yeah, TSMC is the biggest one there and they've, you know, there's a few foundries in Taiwan and they they are the largest supplier, but if you have to go in and fight them, you risk actually destroying the foundries. And if you destroy the foundry, the whole resource that you're after is dead. It's not like the, you know, you don't just plant a seed and the foundry grows next year. Uh, you might as well just build that foundry in China. If you've got to rebuild it anyway, you might as well build it in China. Um, you know. Well, one issue that I think plays heavily into China's favor on that is that they've become self-sufficient in their own microchip production. China doesn't import many microchips from any other country at all. They export to a number of countries like Russia. Um, because of that, they don't have to worry so much about how that taking Taiwan is going to actually impact their own market. So if they take the island and they get the production, well, they get the production that's added to theirs. But if they destroy it in the process, well, then they just cripple the rest of the world's economy and theirs is supreme. Right. That's almost as good as what you're saying. Yeah, it would almost send it send a number of countries basically into the Stone Age after 30 to 40 years without the microchips. You can't make cars. You can't make phones. You can't make laptops, TVs. There's a lot just about everything electronic in modern times has a semiconductor microchip in it. So if you take that away from large portions of the world that ramps up the price on all of the basic things for the rest of the planet we've seen the car price staggeringly rise in the last few years and it's entirely because these semiconductor chips are now in demand for every type of automobile because all automobiles are switching to electric yeah yeah right. everyone every car has a computer in it now yeah so yeah. yeah. Well, um, when I was in college, one of my favorite professors actually is the first person that ever told me about the whole Taiwan China issue. And I mean, that was 2007, 2008. And he, uh, even back then, he was showing us articles and satellite images. China has been ready for this for decades. They've, oh, they've just waited for the right moment to do it. So. As far as a, like a real war with Taiwan, unfortunately, unless we actually really get involved, I think it'll be a very quick thing. I don't think it will be what we've seen in Ukraine with Russia, where that has gone pretty slowly. I think this will be a 24-hour takeover because oh, they've yeah. had so long to prepare and Taiwan just, I mean, it's an island. It's not a good yeah. strategic position to be in when you're fighting China. Uh, possibly. To be fair, um, in the 90s, Newt Gingrich visited Taiwan and established relations with Taiwan. Sure and the United States has been heavily 
attributing to their defense budget for a long time. Oh, yeah. So we could see a holdout for a period like we have in Ukraine where Ukraine get got beaten back largely to small sections, but then they were able to slowly start making headway back in. But right. it's it's a hopeless war in that region. We don't have the resources to defend that island because it's an island right next to China. This would mm-hmm. be like us or uh, China attempting to take Puerto Rico or Cuba from the United States by invading them, that would not go successfully for them. There's no way logistically they could put the people in place to successfully invade those islands. And likewise, I, I doubt the United States could successfully defend something that close to the Chinese mainland. Yeah. The other thing that like, just from a, from China, China's perspective, they've got, I think they have a, a surplus of um, basically a surplus of young men or men generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it be, because partly because of their one child policy. So generally like if couples, uh, a lot of, a lot of people aborted um, female babies because they didn't, they, you know, there's a preference for males in China and there was a one China or one child policy. So you've got this glut of, of men and, that doesn't bode well for uh, the stability of society later because there's not there's not enough people for them to marry and settle down with. So you've you've got like all these excess men, and some of them are trying to ship off to other countries through the Belt and Road Initiative and say go start a business here or do this or whatever and get them out of the country. But uh, I wouldn't put it past she or any of the Chinese leaders to be factoring that calculation in. Like, well, a war would be, maybe be good. Maybe we. We give these guys something to do. Uh, if some of them die, you know, less burden to the state because they don't, you know, they're not caring about that. Uh, almost no country does. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I'm concerned because I think China is alternately irrationally vilified by people in the West and irrationally not taken seriously by people. It's like, like it's both more of a threat and less of a threat than some, than people realize sometimes. And uh, just like an example, I think the whole Uyghur thing is overblown. Like, are they probably doing something kind of maybe sort of, but it's not, I think it's an overblown criticism of the Chinese government. However, uh, there are some real concerns about the Chinese government. Like, there, the Belt and Road Initiative is not something that we can that we could fight for a long period of time. They they really are going to uh, spread their influence, and you know, them detaching from the dollar or partnering with Russia. She has expressed, you know, support for Putin in a way that the People's Congress didn't like in China, but they've now kind of come around. Like he's, I was talking to someone the other day. He's kind of set. Like there's no. I, I had some kind of hope that he could maybe be ousted. But I, it seems like that's just not happening. Like he's never going to be ousted, um, and he's starting to become more oppressive. The freedoms that the people in China were previously experiencing are starting to be withdrawn. You've got uh, people like Jack Ma. I, the rumor on Jack Ma is that he had to give up all of his stock to the Chinese government, and he can't leave the country ever again. Like there's this kind of oppressive stuff happening in China that um, I don't know. I think sometimes we ignore, it, but we also ignore our dependence on them. Like we don't make chips here. So the example you've got, like if they, like we rely on we rely on Taiwan. I, we might have a couple founders, but nothing really big here. I, I think Intel was talking about building a foundry. A yeah, lot they, of the uh, they that, successfully built one. Did they? 
yeah, um, microchip production in the United States, to be fair, Biden passed a few tax breaks for microchip production. So they have opened a few factories and they're working on more, but we're nowhere near the production that Taiwan has. Yeah. And, and our, you know, we think of ourselves, we pat ourselves on the back for our environmental regulations sometimes and the EPA not letting people do things, but we basically, that stuff doesn't not happen. It just gets outsourced to China and we continue to rely on it. So all of the heavy metal processing and a lot of you know, toxic um, mining and other and, and mineral processing and all that kind of stuff that we still rely on for our modern life does happen, just not in the US, but it happens in China. Oh. And so, you know, we don't, I think, People, I think people are sometimes cavalier about cutting off relations with China or provoking China or whatever. Like, yeah, they are evil, but we've really put ourselves in a position of dependence on China in many ways. We, we have. And I think uh, a part of the issue with people who want to provoke China is they look back upon what came when Stalin was finally – out of power. When Stalin finally came out of power and new people entered the Russian government and began to declassify the horrible crimes he did, there were a number of people throughout history that said Stalin wasn't doing those things, that the camps weren't real, that the gulags weren't that bad. You have professors that will argue that it was CIA propaganda. But the actual declassified files from the Soviet Union themselves show that they put to death at least 10 million people throughout his lifetime, possibly far, far, far more, but it, concretely with actual numbers, at least 10 million. And I have to say, when people are concerned that cutting off China isn't the right way to go they're absolutely right about that there's no success in changing another nation by cutting them off but at the same time you have to wonder how much power we're allowing them to hold and how many more people we're allowing them to hurt by not financially cutting them off yeah although i mean someone in jake jake in chat is makes this point which i, I think he's correct about um the Belt and Road Initiative is a strategy for China, and it is a strategy to get influence, and that's bad for the U.S. government in the sense of, like, you know, the West wants influence in many of those places. But it's not bad for the world in the sense, of, like, it's not bad for the people that they're helping. I mean, it's not charity. They're they're basically saying, oh, you need power plants and, and infrastructure and whatever. Like, sure, we'll loan money and teach you how to do that and, like, and, and support your communities in, in doing that. Um, they're basically taking a much, uh, oddly enough, China takes a much more capitalist business approach to help to, to, to their involvement in third world countries than the U.S. does, which is basically we either go to war or, you know, drop, you know, redistributed wealth on them. Uh, and which mostly goes to warlords or whatever. Like, so we either drop charity or we go to war, whereas China's like, oh, like, let's let's build infrastructure let's you want that power plant let's let's build the power plant let's help your town or village succeed just it's backwards to me that it's the more capitalist approach but it is 
it's 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 rather odd because in America we do have a horrible issue with government corruption of tax dollars. We see we we've had so many wars throughout the history of our country where we were just funneling money into defense contractors' pockets, never actually accomplishing anything, not fighting for moral reasons, not going to actually change anything, just sending soldiers in to hold down outposts that never actually do anything and spending hundreds of millions of dollars supposedly training people, but then those people can never win in a fight on their own at all. It, yeah. it It's heartbreaking because $2.3 trillion should have made the country of Afghanistan a modern nation. It should have given them electrical infrastructure. It should have created roads. It should have built schools. Some of the images I received from my contact in Afghanistan, there were hundreds of children sitting outside in the sun to take their exams because the schools just aren't big enough for them to be inside. Women sitting in alleys learning from the one female instructor in the region. They have 1,500 schools in Nangahar alone. They only have 2,000 female educators in the entire country. And because of some of the dictations that they believe in the Quran, they believe men cannot be alone in a room with women that they are not related to. They don't believe that male teachers are allowed to teach the female students. So this shouldn't be an issue, though. We shouldn't have wasted all of this money and been at war for 20 years. It's mind-blowing because we're seeing China do so much more for other countries than we did, and it's deeply bothering on an internal level. Yeah, and they're doing it for profit, too. They're not losing money. No, no money at all. It's not a charity thing. We claimed it was going to be charity. We said we were doing it for the greater good. China said, no, we're doing it because we want to be rich. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the most backwards thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Never thought the capitalists would would screw it up like that. It's not something I painted for our economic philosophy. Yeah. Well, as you know, we don't really abide by our own philosophy not not uh, properly no yeah so i mean just wrapping up the taiwanese thing what do you what do you i mean look i'm not it's hard to ask people to prognosticate because it's such a complex issue and you know none of us are experts on it but um like what do you think the possible outcomes are in the short term uh in the in the short term i suspect china will invade taiwan by 2025 i think yes um I think that the next president that is elected is likely going to be either a Republican or an independent candidate. I think Andrew Yang has a legitimate argument with Trump and Biden potentially being the other two candidates. A lot of people are still very upset about the end of Trump's presidency and the way he handled the coronavirus. And some are upset at the way he's handled the election. I think a lot of the voters that are bothered by those things are going to shift away from him. And then I think a lot of the voters are looking at the way Biden has handled the presidency so far, and they're not going to want to vote for him. So if it's not going to be a Republican candidate, I think it'll likely be an independent. And either way, they're going to have to take a strong stance on Taiwan that inevitably leads to invasion. If the United States declares that it's not a part of China and it breaks from the one China policy, China's going to lash out and invade the island. And if the United States continues to placate the one China policy. Eventually, China will just take the island of its own accord. 
So you don't think there's any way for the people of Taiwan to avoid being part of China in the next 10 years? I don't think there's any way for them to avoid an all-out hot war with China in the next 10 years. There's always the possibility that other nations such as Japan, South Korea, Australia could come to Taiwan's aid. They could push back the Chinese front and genuinely force China to pause because of their united strength in the region. But I don't think it will happen without significant violence and catastrophe in that area. Doesn't uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but doesn't isn't Japan limited with what they can do militarily? Aren't they? Um, aren't they? Aren't, aren't there rules about them building a? Uh, they, they are not Navy allowed to build a, a larger military force than the one we house on the island, as I understand. The last time I read into the treaties we have with Japan, okay. we maintain a larger presence in Japan than Japan has of its own accord. But Japan has provided soldiers to almost every major conflict since World War II on the side of the United States. There have always I see. Been so they from, could do it unilaterally just on their own. Yeah, yeah. If, if they genuinely wanted to, because already Japan's prime ministers have made some accusations against China for the Uyghur Muslim detainment. They've actually cut off the importation of Chinese electronics, alleging slave labor. Japan has strict laws against purchasing electronics that are made with slave labor. Um, and because of that alone, there's evidence that they might take action, especially with the risk that allowing Taiwan to be taken again. Again, it was the control of Taiwan was taken from China in the same agreement that established Korea's independence. So if they allow China to make that claim that Taiwan is still theirs, they have the same claim to Korea and that's a major ally to the West, to Japan. They could genuinely make efforts to step in if this continues. Yeah, I mean, South Korea seems at this point that it's kind of almost part of the West. I mean, it's kind of viewed as uh, it, it's viewed largely as a Western nation that has all the a very all the corruption culture. that comes with democracy. That's <laughs> uh, there. I mean, one thing you have to remember, though, I think it's hard to it's hard because. It's not like Japan is the good guys and like, oh, the good guys might do something like they've got their own motives. And, you know, the Japanese culture is horribly racist, particularly against Chinese um, and has always been. Uh, so, like, you never know. You never know what the real motivations are and what they what they might do, like whether or not electronics in China used slave labor. I could totally see Japan saying, well, it's probably slave labor because they're Chinese people. So. Uh, we're, we're going to ban them. Like that's just, uh, in my experience, it's the way China seems or uh, Japan seems to operate. Um, but all right, uh, let's let's switch topics because you um, you made a case for. I guess it's a case for pro a pro choice case based on religion. Now I just want to clarify some things. You're not a Christian. In fact, my understanding of you is, and maybe I'm wrong, did you say that you're an objectivist Hindu? Uh, yes. So originally I am born and raised Christian. I was a Christian for 23 years. I converted to Hinduism when I was 23 years old, which is three years ago now. And I, just out of curiosity, how does that reconcile with objectivism? 
Um, well, in Hinduism, there are a lot of different sects to Hinduism. There's a lot of different versions of the religion, a lot like how in Christianity you have a lot of different versions, Catholicism, Baptism, Methodist, etc., etc. Um, one of the biggest teachings in Hindu culture is that when you hear something that rings true to your heart, you should follow it, even if it's coming from the mouth of a babe, which is a child. And if you hear something that you inherently disagree with and you find to be wrong, whether it's coming from the mouth of a sage, a guru, or from Lord Brahma himself, you should ignore it. Because deep within your soul, it's there's the belief of the super soul, which is God is within your soul. He is within every soul. And when your soul tells you something's right or wrong, that's God putting you on the path that you are meant to be on as a person. Okay. So... Yeah, I'm not strict to any one of the sects in Hinduism because of that. There are some teachings from all of them that I very heavily believe in. I don't know a lot about Hinduism. I was just asking it's because I, I know a bit about objectivism, and I have not ever heard anyone say that they're Hindu objectivists, so I figured I would ask. Um, okay, maybe we can piss Juliet off. Make the argument. Okay, so um, th th there's two arguments there. Uh, the, the article I wrote was about religious opposition to abortion being from Christianity being very hypocritical. So in the book of Numbers, there is a ritual. I do believe it's chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. It's called the Ordeal of the Bitter Water, in which a husband becomes jealous or finds reason to believe that his wife has slept with another man he is allowed to bring her before the priest and put her through this ordeal of the bitter water which is a trial to discover if she has been um faithful or not in the ordeal they take dirt from the floor and they mix it with water in an earthen jar then they take a fresh scroll scrawl on it with ink and then wash the ink free in the pot of water the woman is put under oath before God and the priest. She's forced to drink the water. And if she miscarriages her child, if she has a miscarriage after drinking the water, it's proof that she was unfaithful. She can be put to death at this point. She can be stoned. If she doesn't have a miscarriage and she carries the pregnancy, the child is the father's then. It's supposed to prove that she was not unfaithful because God would have taken the child otherwise. Um, th this is inherently an abortion ritual. This is the church saying it that sounds if your kind of child, Monty Python esque. I have to uh, admit, like a little bit. But the church is saying, well, technically it's the temple because this is Old Testament. But the temple is saying, if the child's born out of wedlock, if it's an unfaithful child, its life is forfeit. It's not a valuable life. We don't actually want it. We're happy to put the woman through this ordeal and cause her to lose the child. But on a, a more deeper level ink is dangerous to a pregnancy just receiving a tattoo while you're pregnant where the ink is penetrated into your skin at roughly two inch depth you are at a 38 percent higher chance of miscarrying your child this isn't having a tattoo yes just having a tattoo can increase miscarriage chances significantly because the ink can absorb into the blood and can be very dangerous for the child especially inks that are heavier in metals which classic ancient inks were derived from metallic sources and from bugs um and then you also have the dirt from the floor i mean we're talking dirt off the floor mixed together and then forcing somebody to drink it there's a lot of bacteria a lot of germs 
this isn't an adequate test of whether somebody's faithful. There's a high chance that somebody's going to have a miscarriage to begin with. So I find when Christians say, well, God is against abortion. Well, the Bible says very much otherwise. It, he's, it says he's completely for it in certain circumstances where he doesn't approve of the methods of conception. But then there's also, in my opinion, an issue where the conservative movement doesn't look at the power we're offering to the government in the pro-choice, pro-life argument. Pregnancy isn't something that's guaranteed for anybody, whether it's heart complications, ectopic pregnancies, obsteric embolisms, not obsteric embolisms, I'm sorry, obsteric emergencies, um, am amniotic embolisms. There's a range of conditions that can cause a woman to die throughout the pregnancy or during childbirth on the table. Some conditions can be predicted, such as heart disease. If a woman has heart disease, it's not very safe for her to get, carry the child to term, whether it's just the stress of having the child in her body can be dangerous to the heart, or the actual labor itself can be very dangerous for the woman's heart. Um, it, it comes down to a question of, do we trust the government to step in and make blanket decisions for every individual case? So... I'm going to let Juliet push back a little bit on the Christian stuff, although I think I could make a Christian-based case for pushing back. Um, but I will say for – I mean if we're going to reference the most recent Supreme Court decision, it didn't give the government any power. It actually took power away from the federal government and said it's not our business uh, and granted it to states. Are you Are you arguing that the federal government should say, no, no, states can't do this. We have the power to force states to – to this, because by the way, full full disclosure, I'm one of the these people who's like I think it's a gray area. Like I think it, there's some unclear stuff ethically about about it. And so I'm one of those people that's like, yeah, Plan B early on, fine. Mm -hmm. Five minutes before birth, really not fine. Gray area in between somewhere, and I'm not really sure. Like so, so for me, the federal government saying we're out. Uh, <laughs> like I'm like, okay, good, you be out. States can figure that out on their own. Are, are well, you arguing that they shouldn't have done that? Well, my, my argument to that would be we don't allow the states to control rights. You don't lose your rights because you move across state lines. If we're going to allow the states to dictate this, do the states get to dictate that mothers have to take vaccines for the sake of their children? Do the states get to dictate a well, diet think to the I, mother I, to make sure not the child a, That's not healthy? a valid comparison. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. I could, a mother could starve herself to lose her child. A mother yes. could take the wrong medication to lose her child. A mother could get sick with a disease that she could have avoided by taking the vaccine and lose the child. What is to say that the government doesn't overreach on that issue and the government doesn't say, well, we're protecting that baby now, so you got to do it. Well, the federal government didn't say that. The federal government said, well, it's not our business. Right. And if and if their job is to interpret the Constitution, I think it's a rational thing to say, yeah, the Constitution doesn't contemplate what what status uh, at what point a being uh, obtains the inalienable inalienable rights. Like that's not mm. I, the Constitution didn't get into rights begin at conception versus rights begin when you're 18 years old and can write a decent essay like they didn't get into when beings get rights. They just kind of 
hey, we have them. The Declaration of Independence does say that they're a priori to government, which is great. That's a step forward. Uh, <laughs> but they don't. it doesn't get into that nuance. So it seems like a reasonable thing for the federal government to say, well, look, I, we don't know. Like this is this is clearly considered a gray area right now for a lot of people because there's about a 50-50 split. We don't really know whether rights apply to this or not. The some amendments do apply to all states. Like I would say the Second Amendment says the right of right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But the First Amendment actually doesn't say that states can't limit speech. It says Congress can't pass a law. So actually, if you're a constitutionalist, you would look at that and say, well, Actually, a state could pass a law against the first. Like it says, Congress can't. I mean, they wrote those like those those you know those lines differently, and there's a lot of contradiction in the Constitution. So I'm sure you could like you could argue either way because there's the Constitution has well, contradictions. A- absolutely, you could argue either way, but I think there is one right that really protects this issue. Um, you, no one has the right to subsist off of another person. If right now I am bleeding out on the floor and I'm dying, and the paramedics show up and my I have a twin who is standing right next to me is the exact same blood type as me. He can donate blood in that exact moment and save my life. There is nothing that compels. So. I have no right to any of his autonomy whatsoever to save my own life. He could stand there and watch me bleed out and the government can in no way force him to help me at all. And I think there to, to a degree is, is a great comparison there because Dead people, you can't take dead people's organs. You can't force a dead person to undergo any type of medical procedure they did not already consent to in life. You can't take their organs and give them to somebody else. You can't transplant anything. But we're telling women that you have to allow this other life to subsist on you no matter what your own individual case is. And Okay, but – I mean, as as a father, <laughs> I mean, if you just left your baby that was three days old on the couch and didn't touch it, it would die. So, and you're not allowed to do that. That's considered murder, right? Hold on, hold on. But if your baby is dying of a blood disease and you match your baby's blood type, the government cannot compel you to share any of your body with that child to save the child. No matter how safe the procedure is, drawing blood and transfusing it to another person is a sure. virtually undangerous, uh, a safe procedure. There we go. But pregnancy is simply not. It's it still holds a lot of risk for a lot of women. There's always the risk of heart disease, heart attacks. There's always the risk of embolisms. There's always the risk of tears. There's always the risk of a variety of other illnesses popping up at any point throughout the pregnancy. Should the government be deciding what conditions do and don't warrant this treatment? And do we trust them not to make a mistake? Do we trust Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and the rest to not overlook a very important disease that winds up seeing someone's wife, daughter, or mother pass away because they couldn't get the treatment they needed? Right, but you're mischaracterizing this because uh, I explicitly say, no, we can't trust all the people you mentioned. And the federal government is punting on the issue. So you'd have to make an argument. Can we, can you trust Gavin Newsom? Cause I'm in California. Like, okay, well, no, I don't. And maybe we should have like, maybe my state should have rules about whatever, you know, like we, we could argue that issue in a state, but pushing back on the federal government saying, I don't know, 
it's up to the states doesn't seem like it's the same thing you're you're conflating that with forcing people to not have abortions which they did not do the federal government didn't do that the the fed what the federal government did was the federal government said we're not going to protect this right to bodily autonomy we're not going to say that women have a choice right but but is it unclear it's clear for dead people it's clear for you and me as a man right now the government could not force you and i to give any part of our body to anybody else for them well they can force us to pay child support actually Mm, they they can unless you sign your rights away and refuse to see the child whatsoever in a lot of states you and even then you you can not pay child support and go to prison but you still they well, can't take a part of your medical you body can have, you can have an abortion and go to prison like okay like the, uh, you know fine but my point is you they can force you right they can force men to pay uh so they have decided they've just de- like as a society we've decided there are obligations that parents have to kids right and so like if you want to give up your kid you can't throw them in a dumpster you have to at least go to an orphanage so that they're taken care of like now i don't know like you we could make an argument about whether that's the rational and right thing or not but i i think trying to compare children who exist because of the choices that their parents made uh cuz look i mean i'm all for you know, you want to have casual sex and not have kids and whatever, like, fine, you do your thing. But just like you said, a pregnancy, there's risks involved in a pregnancy. That is absolutely true. Uh, there's risks with almost anything, right? If mm-hmm. I decide to drive to the store today, I'm accepting you're some right. risks. Absolutely. Pregnancy, you're accepting some risks. Even if you're healthy, there's some kind of risk, right? Well, you're right. Um, you're right. But well, the same is true for sex. We'll see. There's I a risk. That you and one of those risks is that right you get now. pregnant. I l- huh? absolutely love that you brought that up, though, because that is one of the big points that I think is somewhat ridiculous about the conservative movement. The conservative movement on the pro-choice issue is saying we want the government to say you can't have a procedure that you might need because you might get pregnant no matter what you are doing to prevent that. I have a wife. She Wait, wait, wait. Can you say that again? Because I think I missed. I missed. No matter what you're doing to prevent the pregnancy. I have a wife. She has medical issues that prevent her from ever carrying a child in the womb it won't happen she won't be able to gestate a pregnancy there if she has if she does get pregnant it'll be an ectopic pregnancy whether her tubes are cut and tied or burned whether she has a hysterectomy or not sorry not if she has this if she has a hysterectomy she won't run the risk but anything else even if i get snipped condoms birth control the implants the injections all things still hold that risk of the person still getting pregnant do we want the government saying women's health and women's rights to choose matter so little that now you can't have sex in your own house with your partner because we want to choose for them ahead of time so you better not if it's a risk they might die yeah i mean i don't think so because (laughs) i so again i'm talking about the federal government saying they're out of it and saying okay so the states have to decide you're totally right And I would totally say as a state, like I would use the scale that I just said, which is, well, you definitely need to be able to take plan B. And definitely in the case where there's like some clear existential risk that's arisen, like that's that's a real threat. Like, okay, like all those things make a lot of sense. The other stuff, I don't know. That's more of a gray area. But like I I think you're arguing this case as if conservatives are all saying and I'm not even conservative, by the way, but conservatives are all saying like, oh, you can't have. 
there's a difference between someone in Texas proposing that you can't use plan B and someone saying you can't have an abortion in the ninth trimester or third trimester or like the, the ninth month or something like those we'll are two different things. So it's like arguing one and pretending it's the other is tough. Well, see, that's a that's a bit of a straw man argument because no one no one reasonably believes that children who are aborted in the third trimester should die. A lot of people, both pro-life and pro-choice, argued for the legislation where Congress was going to force physicians to offer care to any children who do survive an abortion process that is late, meaning that if a woman still does need this medical procedure, she can't go through the birth, can't maintain the labor or the child, that in trying to remove the child, if it is alive, they would still offer care to it, still help the child the way it should be, in my personal opinion. It is alive. It's a life. It deserves care. It deserves respect. The issue is it's a like you said it's a very gray area because the medicine is so risky you have that inherent risk of death and we don't allow the government to have any control over other people's choices on whether they're going to go through a medical procedure that risks their life and labor unfortunately by definite it is a medical procedure you're going you have to go being pregnant i don't think no, being pregnant, not being is pregnant a labor procedure labor is no Going through labor no. is definitely no we have yes, cats they did not they, our cat just gave birth by herself yeah there's they, no medical procedure women hold on that. women human women can't do that though yes they, they can no they can't no they, they can't. do all the time not, not safely, they do it all the time safely whatsoever all thousand, over the world. Yeah, thousand no the infant mortality rate in other world. countries are staggeringly high the united states alone has an extremely high infant mortality rate we're like 140th on the planet we have an extremely high rate of people where the child dies or the mother dies because they're not receiving proper prenatal care. Well, and that's where the majority but mortality of is not a medical procedure. It doesn't make it a medical procedure. Hold My on. point no, is, no, no, no. The procedure abortion of, is a medical procedure. Being pregnant and giving birth is just a condition. Hold on. And you might need medical treatment for that condition, Hold but on. it's just being, a condition. Being pregnant is a condition. Labor is a procedure. It's why it's billed as a procedure. No, Hospital labor labor is just a thing that happens to you when you're pregnant after a certain period of time. You well, may choose to go to the doctor to get help with it. Unless it's a breach labor, unless there's a dozen other forms that it has to go through. There's lots right. of the, forms of labor where it's considered a medical procedure. Though. My, my, my point is the labor itself is not a procedure. You uh, can it, do it, procedures it, to people who are – to, to say it's not is to ignore that doctors, doulas, and people me, all over I the world to, stand in the room and get involved. I'll be quiet about Julia. Julia. Okay, I just – I have to point out – By the way, out, I probably agree with John a lot more than I'm pretending, but like, let's let Juliet do her thing. For tens of thousands of years of human history, we didn't have doctors, so it's not a medical procedure. Hold on. We You're treat right. We treat it medically midwives. now. We go to a hospital because it is safer than doing it in your – bed like they used to but it is a natural process that our bodies will do whether we want them to or not and whether or not there's a doctor in the room yes and women will die in the process and have for thousands have, upon thousands of years well, all over the world and why is the government going to be allowed to have any input whatsoever on that decision for women they wouldn't be allowed to have it for anyone else any man out there would not receive any type of pushback on not going through any form of medication or medical procedure they refuse to go through. The tricky part is, is that only women can experience having a life growing inside of them. And 
the idea that it's a choice you have whether or not to carry that to term is a basically a more modern idea. I am aware that throughout history, people did find concoctions they could drink to get rid of unwanted pregnancies. But in reality, most people just had the babies. So we, as in a modern society, we face this dilemma of when is it a life? And when it becomes a life, does it become murder to get rid of it if it still relies on the mother for survival, which it will for years after it's born as well. Sometimes late into the 20s. <laughs> I, I would argue it's not a matter of whether it's, it's not so much an argument of whether the child relies on the mother. It's an argument of why are we allowing the government any access to anyone's body that they do not want to have? Anyone, any access to anyone else's body if that person doesn't want it. And will that apply to other people? When does it apply to men as well? Can it the can. government, but why can't it? Why can't the government force it, men to it get It can apply to men because now children? men is anyone who says they're a man. So any man who's who's pregnant, it applies to the end. No, 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 no. What, what I'm asking is for fathers, for, for genuine biological born males, why can't the government force them to give blood transfusions to people who need it? Why can't the government force me? It's a painless, harmless procedure. Right. What you're doing is you're exploiting a difference that in nature to make an argument that like, why can't men do that? Like, well, because it's not it's not it's like saying, you know, why can't the government force men to breastfeed? Because they can't breastfeed. That's why. Like, it's not a. But in today's it, society, you're, you're picking on an issue that only females deal with and then say, how come the men don't have to do this? Because females are unique. Only females have this particular thing. Ah. And it is a gray area. And that gray area is it arises philosophically from a question that this society is really bad at coming to uh, an agreement on, which is a difficult question. So I don't blame us. But when do rights arise? What are rights? When do they arise? Does a does a does a fetus have rights? Does they happen at conception, as a lot of religious people would say? Do they happen, uh, you know, much, much later when at the age of 24 or 25, when your brain finally finishes developing your prefrontal cortex? And if it doesn't happen at those two extremes, which I think it, I wouldn't say it does, what's, when, when do we recognize rights? And, and what, like, because, because the argument for the, the pro-life argument is this other being has rights, and and the the argument that you were making before that you should be able to remove it from the body but then keep it alive that's not at all what's really happening i mean any any late term abortion is they slice it up before it's even out and pull it out in pieces so well, that, hold on that's not true joiner lucas alone survived a late term abortion and is alive my wife as well survived late term abortion. There are a lot of abortions that are late term where the child sure. does come out alive, well, and sure. Healthy, and there are tall Chinese people, given, but in generally, they slice it up and pull it out bit by bit. Like that's generally what happens. It's a vacuum suck. It's a normal procedure, right? So, like, yes, it can happen. Sometimes they they give they they pull the whole child out and that child survives. But often that's not even the procedure, right? Often there's no way, right? That that. I won't say child, I'll say fetus could survive, right? And so I think a lot of people are say, well, because it's human DNA and it's life, therefore it has rights. That's not the camp that I'm in, but that's what a lot of people would say, right? And then and then or or there will be a spiritual argument. And then and then other people, you know, will make the argument that that you're making, like, well, it's the it's the woman's rights that matter. But then I I think, you know, we do have we do have an issue. It's just like, okay, well, are you obligated to 
are you obligated then to do the kind of abortions that you're talking about where you gingerly remove the fetus in hopes of keeping it alive and getting it adopted by a nice couple or like or do you just say screw it right so well i, I don't I think, think it's as cut and dry i guess is my point. it's it's not as cut and dry um i think to to a degree that you, the the missed point of my argument is it isn't that the woman's rights matter more it's that in life and death situations in situations that are going to be very individualized because medicine is not broad everyone is different everyone's bodies are different especially in the immediate moment do we want the government to have any input whatsoever on life and death choices like that for people and my argument is very distinctly no they're going to miss diseases they're going to miss right but here's here's the issue but here's the issue there's two things intertwined Right. I, I would say, of course, we don't want the government to, to have a, a say in that. But there's two issues intertwined, which is I need to murder you to save my life. And like and murder, you might be fine if you don't have rights. If you're a chicken, I'm allowed to murder you so I can eat like that's fine. The government shouldn't have anything to say about it. No. But there are people who disagree with the status of no rights being applied to a fetus at various terms. And, and that's just a like people don't agree on what that is i think it is wild that people think they should have any input whatsoever on a life and death decision that another person has to go through it's not your body you're not going through the pregnancy but no, it's not just the life dying it's not just you're simplifying the decision all. i think everyone it should be individualized because everyone's situation okay. is different you don't know the specific conditions of every wife. You don't know the specific conditions of, of every woman. Not. Of course not. Exactly why it should be up to every individual who's going through it. They're the ones who have to go through the life and death. Choice. But you're only they, talking about choice, one of the two life. entities, no, and no, the no, other no, entity, no, no, a lot no, of no, people no, consider no, no, an no, individual. No, no, no. no, that is assuming that mothers don't love their children. That mothers who do wind up choosing abortion don't love their child and didn't want their child. That's not what it is. That's just what my argument is. Is that the woman no. is the one who has to go through the life and death decision. It's her baby and it's her life. She should be the only one making that decision because no one else knows the individual circumstances like she will know the individual circumstance. No one right. knows the risk for her child's health. No one knows the family history for that child. No one knows the life that that child might come into with a single father. No one knows any of that except for I, her. I get so all she that. should be the only one making that choice. I, I get all that, but my only point is you are you're talking about one person mm -hmm. making the choice for two people exactly making the choice for what some people would say is two people some people would would agree and say this other thing doesn't have rights so in that case your argument stands but some people would say well this other thing does have rights and you can't make the choice to terminate the other thing because it was your actions that brought this other thing into being, and you have an obligation now to at least carry it to term and w where it can survive on its own and go off and do its own thing. But you, 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 you took that responsibility on through your behavior, and it, you know, it sucks. Some people get struck by lightning when they don't want to be. Like, that happens sometimes. I get it. Everything's got a risk to it. But, like, that's the counterargument people would make. And they would say to you, well, you're ignoring the other half of this equation. You're saying it's all about the woman's rights, which no one is disagreeing with the, that the woman shouldn't have rights. But there's a segment of the population who's saying, but there's another individual involved and they have rights. I love that you brought up the other individual, though. Who controls that individual's rights when they're born? Who decides what medical attention that child receives? 
who decides if they'll receive life care, life-saving therapies, who decides if they go through chemo, right. who decides if they go to the doctor at all, who decides if they take vaccines. The mother does. We already entrust her to make the right decision for that child all throughout its life for the next several years. We entrust its medical choices and medical care to her. But what yeah, we're but saying if she is, kills if the that, baby, on, we still put her in jail no, for what murder. No, but what we're saying is if the, her medical health comes in conflict during con the conception and gestation with the child's, she is wrong for choosing her own health over the child. No, we're not. That's not the argument at all because no, I, no one here would sure, argue that if her that's medical the, health that was an issue, that, that she shouldn't choose it. That a lot of conservatives have made across the country. They're banning abortions in certain states. Missouri has already passed abortion bans. Several states moved to pass abortion bans and several others had legislation already in effect that was banned by the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade that then went into effect when it was overturned. So to but say most no of those have exceptions for life of mother. Hold on. Yeah. But are we going to assume that the government is going to consider all of the things? That's the other part of the equation. Do we trust people within the government to actually account for all of the different health issues that can arise and threaten a mother's life during pregnancy? Well, because I don't think we they do, list them. I think, I think they say if the doctor says there's a reasonable yeah. risk here, then then go ahead. That's like I think. And it's got to be. Up to the the I mean I think the way the laws are written I assume they don't list out all the reasons that you could possibly so so we're abort. allowing we're allowing the doctor now to decide make life and death decisions on behalf well like of any law they can make them on their own though well this is what you run into with any law which is like well there someone has to interpret like when you're gonna say like well are 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 you reasonably at risk anytime you have a law that says like well are you re is reasonably at risk like that's gonna be an interpretive problem reasonably is gonna be an well, interpretive problem. My, my argument there is there should be no one else interpreting it except for the mother. She is the one who makes the choices for the child's medical decisions. Well, but that's but it's her if you have any laws, you always risk. have that issue. If you have what any issue? laws, you always I've, have I've that never issue. heard of any other medical law that dictates the doctor gets to make the life and death decision. No, I'm saying you have the reasonability issue. Any contract any type of care. I'm saying I'm not saying that. I'm saying any contract you have a reasonability issue. You have an interpretation issue where someone says like, well. You reasonably agreed to this because the language is not clear, but this is a reasonable interpretation. And therefore, like that happens in every single contract, every single like everything. Always. There's yes. always a, you always Absolutely. fall back on someone, often, unfortunately, the government making their determination about whether this is a kind of reasonable interpretation of this thing. And in this you, case, what they're saying is, well, is she is she reasonably is her life reasonably at risk here on like an unusual way more than normal? Is this a, an issue? And like. You know, ah, I, I, like I said, that's big. Why, are, yeah, we, why are we letting anyone else make that decision on behalf of somebody going through it when we would not allow them to do that for anybody else? There's no other contract that allows somebody allows an third party individual that you have not already dictated this control to yourself to have control over your medical choices. Nobody else can walk into your life and claim control over you now and dictate your medical care to you. They can't decide what kind of care you'll go through. What is the risk and reward factor to that care? No one else can do that to any man in this country. That's not a thing. But it's, it's being offered issue. to women. It's not, it, it, you, it's not a sexist issue. I'm not saying that it's because they're women. It is because they are the ones that give birth to children. But the point is they're not receiving the right to choose their own medical care because of their gender. It's not the government forcing it because of their gender. They go through this procedure. It's, because it's not because it's of the their gender. Because we know it. now gender is just a well, hold on. <laughs> man, man. 
eh. We, it's, we, it's not because of their gender. It's because of their circumstance. It's because that their medical decision is intertwined with the death of another human. Hold on. That's but the problem why. is yeah. that is only because of their gender. And their right to have medical choice is protected just like everyone else's. It, They're a protected it happens to be related to their gender. It happens to be it, a consequence. Mm. It's not because of their sex. No one says, I want to oppress women. What's something that we can do to oppress women? How are they different from men? Oh, that's a way we can do it. It's because the circumstance that they're in is intertwined with another life. With another life that they already make all the medical choices for. But they not the murder choice. Over. You Hold can't on, no, murder your baby. Not get, yes, you can. You can choose in this country. You can choose not to take your child in for health care for a variety of issues. Young Christian scientists do it all the time. Not they taking them in for health care yes, and actually murdering them are two different things. People have been put in jail for keeping their babies on a vegan diet and having them malnourished when they like right. a doctor finally sees them. So you don't have the right to damage your child no you just have the right to dictate their medical care and refuse to take them for medical care if you don't agree with the medical care sure and you can refuse to take prenatal vitamins or do anything else that's prescribed for your your baby you and you would likely lose the child as a result of it so what we're going to have is we're going to have women who instead of choosing to have abortion they're going to take the unsafe route of forcing themselves through malnutrition different drug cocktails whatever they have to do to not go through this pregnancy, to avoid the risks that they might face from this pregnancy. And everyone says, oh, it's an economic thing. I have never met anyone who genuinely says, I just couldn't fucking stand the person inside of me because I don't have enough money for them. There are millions of people across this country who don't agree with that and don't feel that way despite their poor circumstances. But a lot of people still face medical emergencies that put them at risk during pregnancy and during labor and for the government to have any control over that in at any form mind you not just the federal government i advocate for the federal government banning any control over this issue because it's the simplest way they no one should have any control on a governmental level it should be between the person who has control over the baby's medical decisions and the person who is facing the life and death there should be no one else involved in that choice for them the only role of the physician is to ensure that they receive the care. They you're, but need you're to only achieve. talking about a very limited case, which I think everyone, a lot of people would agree with, which is the life of the mother. Like, yeah, sure. A lot of conservatives would agree with that. A lot of Christians would agree with that. That's not, that's not the, that's not the case. That's not, that's not the, that's not the issue at hand. It's, it's when it's not the life of the mother. It's not, she's not trying to justify it by saying, well, I'm going to die or blah, blah, blah. She's like, I just don't want it. Well, see, and I understand that, but the issue is it's a lot like any other issue. The choices that some people make in how they exercise their rights cannot dictate how the government protects the rights of other people. If the choices of people with firearms can dictate how the government enforces laws upon people with firearms, there's no Second Amendment then. There's no real Second Amendment. There's no real right to your firearms. We don't allow, at least on the conservative side, we do not allow the people who misuse their rights to paint the picture for how rights are supposed to be used or why they are kept sacred and why they're kept safe. And of course not, but you still go to jail if you murder someone with a gun. You're, you're, you're right. But unfortunately with this, we're talking about life and death choices. Even if the person is just saying they don't want it, we don't know that they won't have complications further down the line. 
we don't know that during labor they won't have complications that result well but you death. can't do that there you are, can't conflate well, you can't can. conflate everyday minor risks with major things otherwise you get into the same it's the same COVID argument like you have to wear a mask and wear all this crap blah blah because blah, if you cough on me it slightly increases the odds that i'll die like okay Absolutely. yeah sure that's called living in, in life but there's a distinction between that and like i have aids and i like you know, force my blood into your open wound. Like, okay, well, those well, are see, two different things. The, the issue with the argument there is every year in the United States, over 100,000 women face death from labor, from a variety of outcomes, whether it's embolisms, whether it's amniotic, uh, it's, sorry, it's amniotic embolisms, whether it's bleed outs, whether it's obsteric emergencies. So you're There's, saying pregnancy is so risky that every abortion could be construed as for the life and death safety of the mother. No, what I am saying is pregnancy is so risky that we cannot know whether any pregnancy will lead to the death of that mother if she's forced to continue to carry it. So the government should not be the ones in any capacity dictating this decision because it is, in fact, a life and death decision. And it is not their life at risk. It is not the life of a 70-year-old individual who can't have children, doesn't have children, and who already has grandchildren in the world as to whether somebody who is actually pregnant and actually going through the condition should have a choice in whether they continue to go through it, whether they continue to face that risk. And in vice versa, it's important that we codify bodily autonomy. What happens when the government starts taking things a step further and decides on a one-China policy like we were talking about earlier with Taiwan? What happens when they start forcing women to undergo abortions? That is the issue we are at. Rights are not just one side or the other. We're looking at something we view as a positive, but we're never looking at the negative aspect of giving the government any kind of power like this. What happens when one day the government says, well, we have a population problem? We need to desperately reduce the population. Women can no longer have children. Well, I think the argument for the federal government not doing anything and punting is they're not doing anything and they're punting. And you could argue that states should do the same thing and say, we're punting. And counties should do the same thing and say, we're punting. And if everyone punts all the way down the line, you get what you want, which is <clears> the <throat> person at the end makes the decision. <laughs> like, well, see, the problem there is, do we punt on any other rights? Does the federal government say, ah, we just... <clears throat> kick it down the line we'll let other people decide it's not we're not they're not punting rights. on rights they're punting on they're punting on the question of uh whether or not the other entity has like conflicting I, rights here right That's i all. inherently disagree i think they're punting on bodily autonomy as a right it's something that we've t this that the left is currently discussing codifying into law and they're scared to do it because of all of the arguments that were made during covid but that's the other side to this situation. If we codify bodily autonomy, there will never be another COVID situation. You can't be there forced never to take be. vaccines or whatever at that point. Is what you're yeah, saying. You can't be forced to undergo any type of medication, medical procedure, or medical attention mm -mm. that you do not want to go under. That doesn't work because bodily autonomy is about your body. And once there is a thing, if regardless of when you decide... It is its own entity. It's its own body. But once it's got its own body, then like bodily aut autonomy rights aren't going to cover an abortion anymore because See, then that thing has rights as well. That's the whole argument. Like we've just looped back to the beginning of the argument. Un unfortunately, that's not really the argument. As long as the child is attached to the mother, that's not its own body. 
It's a body that is attached. It's surgically, it's physically attached. All the flesh is attached. It's growing. It's literally growing right. out of the mother's body. It's the same body until it's detached. It's not, How is it not the same it, body? It, 12 weeks. Does it have, not grow out? No, 12 weeks. They have visible fingerprints. They have yes. unique DNA. Are they still attached to the mother? It doesn't matter. That's it does. Not... It, inher it, it inherently does. Are Siamese twins attached to one another? Do they share the same body? Yeah, but can one kill the other for people. his own benefit? Yeah, we yes. consider them two Actually, people. yes, they can. One can okay, go. So you're consistent on this. So, so if we were Siamese twins, I would need to murder you before you murdered me because otherwise we're, I'm fucked. If, if I make the choice to go through a procedure that severs a body from mine, that's my choice to, to undergo for my body. And that's what bodily autonomy is about. And yes, that'll mean a lot of people make decisions that people do not like. But that yep. also means the government cannot force anyone to make medical choices that they do not want to make. And we recently saw exactly why that needs to be a thing. We're seeing now, as the results of the vaccines come out, why the government cannot be trusted with medicine. And we've seen it throughout history. And the origin of birth control in Puerto Rico involved human testing on people of color, on women of color specifically because they were women of color. In the documents, they specifically chose people who were minorities, who had low funding, could not sue back to test these different compounds on to find what would adequately work as a birth control. We saw it in Venezuela, not Venezuela, but in uh, Guatemala. I don't, I don't know how that's relevant experiment. to the question of abortion. Well, well, the, the, the issue is what the government will do if we do not have bodily autonomy. Bodily autonomy well, look, is a core right being discussed in abortion. And if we don't codify it into law, there's so much evidence that the government will inherently abuse it not being codified into law. Sure. I mean – Remember, you're talking to an ANCAP at the end of the day. So, but, uh, but look, I mean, we don't own ourselves according to, like, the US government already doesn't think we have bodily autonomy in any way. And I will take these kind of arguments seriously when my wallet is considered an extension of my body. But until that day, I'm not like, I don't like this idea that we own your productive labor, but you own your body. I'm like, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> My productive labor is my life. Like that's, you know what? We're treated like livestock. So on this particular issue, um, I, I like that the federal government punted it because I think that you can have the battle at states better. Um, I, and I do think it, it comes down to the philosophical question, which I think is a fascinating, difficult question, is what, what are, like, when do rights arise, right? Um, and, and what does that mean in terms of like, what's the relationship between, I mean, let's just ask a silly question. What can a parent do to a, an annoying two-year-old? Like, does how much? Because the two-year-old doesn't have, the, a two-year-old can't consent. They're not cognitively like they don't have all their rights. We treat them as if they don't have all the rights because they don't. Like they don't, they're not capable of having all the rights. But also, I think most of us would be horrified if someone was like, "Yeah, I don't like him anymore." So I, you know, I threw them in the ocean. Right? Like, okay, well, that's that's definitely murder. <laughs> but there's like there's an issue there, and like I think there's some deep difficult philosophical questions and and part of the problem is we've got people coming from vastly different angles on this and no one really wants to address that question you've got uh you've got religious views to it um you've got very pragmatic views you've got people who just don't even want to ask the question i had a friend who thought that abortion should be legal up until the age of 18 um <laughs> like that was, you know so 
I, I, it's it's a it's a difficult one. I don't want to. The reason I'm kind of saying all this is I kind of want to put a bow on this conversation because we're never. I don't think we're going to get anywhere. But I want to make sure we got your views clarified. And and Juliet, I think I think we know Juliet's views. So I'm not sure. Uh, I want to get your views clarified so we kind of know where we are. Yeah, yeah. My, my view on it is just you know the mother is the one who's going through the life and death situation. They're the ones who. The, it affects them on whether they live and die, and the mother is also the one making the decisions for that child. The mother is going to be the one that likely loves that child the most. She's going to be the one that has the actual physical connection. Their lives are the ones that are intertwined, and if the baby were to survive, if she were to force herself to go through the procedure to carry out the pregnancy to get to the end, and she lived or she died, that would still be her making the decisions for the child at the end. She's the one making the decision to carry it to the term. She's also the one making the decisions if she survives afterwards for all of its healthcare needs, every bit of them, everyone that could kill the baby as well. We don't imprison mothers who make mistakes and choose the wrong type of medication or the wrong type of diet and it winds up costing them their child's life. No one knows that their child's allergic to something, something like that. And mothers still have to make all those choices for the child on their behalf long before they can ever communicate. There's a lot of power already given over that child. And in a choice that is life or death for the mother and the child, I think the mother should be the sole one making that decision, especially because the children cannot vocalize. There's no way to ask that child if it would rather let its mother live. If well, it even would if rather you could, die. it couldn't. I mean, let's say somehow we could. Let's let's just say somehow we could. No one knows individually which child want their mother to live instead of them. Everyone's talking about a choice. We don't know the choice of that child either. There are a lot of people who grow up hateful, resentful, and miserable because they're – conception their gestation and their birth costs their mother their life and they grow up without that person their entire life a lot of those people in adulthood in adolescence and in childhood wish that it had been them instead and there's no way to ever know that choice there's no way to know if forcing the mother to carry the child through pregnancy is indeed what the child wants but there is a way to know if forcing her to go through it is what she wants. If taking that risk is what she wants to go through. And I think we have to go with the person who can actually vocalize their choices, the person who is going through the life and death risk. Juliet, have you been convinced? <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I mean, honestly, to me, it's always been one of those, like, it is so easy to not get pregnant if you're at careful and then they're really easy non-medically invasive ways to take care of it early on so if you get to the point where 12 weeks in now you're paying Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. you've made so many mistakes up until that point that if it's not medically necessary I don't know I, don't, I mean I'm I'm against it I'm pro I'm pro medically necessary abortion only so can I ask then what happens when the government makes the wrong choices though and they the exclude not medical choosing. necessity? The well, hold on, some hold on, some government, some government is some government is going to outline that there are certain procedures that do not match the reasonable doubt because somebody is also going to argue that an abortion was given where it wasn't reasonable, where it wasn't necessary. 
So there's got to be some type of codification around that where we decide what is a it's reasonable called a necessity jury and, and a, like, yeah, that's what'll that happen. It would go to it would go to trial and so then we're we're going to allow the courts and a jury of our peers to dictate what medical conditions are we we let them dictate whether or not it's self-defense when someone's attacking you and you shoot them. We have to go to court for that. So why not? I mean, right. there are other times where it should be cut and dry and it's not. Sometimes so, it's gray. So what about the massive waste of tax dollars as well? We're going to drag every woman into court to dictate oh. whether the, oh, it was on. reasonable for her. No. I don't, I mean, I don't think that'll happen. It, it, you get, you get, yeah, that's why you end up with precedent and then lawyers don't take cases because mm -hmm. they know and like, you end up with a de facto, I mean, the way that the court systems are supposed to work, which they kind of do, is you end up with de facto out, outcomes that change and evolve as culture evolves and the idea of reasonable evolves. And like, and that's why you have, theoretically, this is why you have a jury of your peers so that if your peers are like, yeah, that was a self-defense, you know, shot, like, okay, like that's considered self-defense, but maybe in 50 years, it won't be considered self-defense anymore. It'll be... You know, so and, and that I'm not saying that's philosophically good. I'm saying that's the system that we've got, and that's kind of how but, laws work right now. But we're, we're coming back to somebody else is getting to dictate the medical choice of, of another yeah, yeah. individual. And how can we ever feel that that is the right thing to do outside of a parental child relationship? We don't recognize that anyone else should have any control over anyone's medical choices except for the parent. We look at great example, we look at Alfie Evans. We look at Alfie Evans in London. He, they desperately wanted to take, take their child to Italy to try experimental health care. It could have right. been very bad for the child, but it could have been very good. It was, it was a genuine, it was life or death. They're the parents. They're the ones that have to make the decision on his behalf. And the government stepped in and said, no, you can't make that decision. And I can't help but think that we'll have thousands maybe millions of more cases where something like that happens i can never say giving the government any more control over any issue is ever a good thing even if that control is on a local or regional level i think it's always best to let the individuals decide and make that choice for themselves yeah. i i agree i don't like giving the government more power than it has i think it always this topic every time is going to boil back down to when do you believe that that is a life and you no one can expect anyone that believes it's a life at conception or 10 weeks in whenever nobody can ever expect those people to to change their opinion on that that is now murder and it's so it's a it's kind of a depends on where you fall whether you believe it's a separate living thing or not and then if you do, and it's an elective abortion, they, it's not medically necessary. It's they, you know, they they decided they didn't want it. Then people that believe that's a life will consider that murder. And we do have laws against murder in every other way. So it's it's just a complicated subject. That it's I, it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky because if you don't believe it's a life until it's born then obviously you're going to vote differently, which is why I like that it went back to states because states' laws are way easier to change. It's way easier to vote people in and out of government in the state. So if your state outlaws it completely, you know, put some work in and you'll be able to turn that decision over in a few years. 
Uh, but a few years, what happens to all the women who aren't able to get the care they actually need, who they do can wind up dying another, from it? Well, California, ah, what about the poor people, though? What about people who don't have the money to uproot themselves sure. and Look, travel I mean, across I, state lines for a medical procedure? Sure, but I, I think this is, I mean, there's some fundamental, like, do we want the federal government stepping in and in an area that is clearly in contention? Um, and like, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I see that you're saying it's the federal government, like not like, I think you're making the argument that it's the federal government taking power, like saying that they're going to do something, but it's not, it's the federal government saying we don't know. And we're not going to enforce this thing, which for someone like me who doesn't want the federal government to exist at all is fine. Uh, I wish they would say that on every issue about everything. We don't know. It's a state's issue. Yay. Now we can have the argument at our state's level. And I, so I, I think the one thing I'd like to see here, not on this show necessarily, I just mean like in general, uh, I I see both sides make uh, – kind of sweeping judgments about the other side's stupidity or evilness. Um, and, and I, I will just say, as, look, I'm, I'm not a dumb guy. I've thought about this a lot. I've, I've, I'm pretty deep into to philosophy. I've thought a lot about the origin of rights. This is not a simple issue. Um, no. And we mentioned Ayn Rand earlier, all for all Rand's pro abortion stuff, there's one little paragraph I found recently that she was like, well, obviously I'm talking about first term, first trimester, because after that, it's complicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you. After that, it's complicated. Like it is complicated. And to, and to not recognize that there's, there's nuance here and that people genuinely are trying to do the right thing and not, no one's trying to ignore the rights of women and no one's trying to murder babies. Like those, no one's trying to do any of my, I mean, some, right. But most people aren't trying to do either one of those things. They're trying to get at the truth. And it's a, it's a, mm -hmm. I, this issue is to me, I mean, maybe you guys are all smarter than me, but to me, this is super complex. And like, I, I don't think it's super straightforward. And I think the issues that you bring up to, I'm like, some of them are real issues like, well, but you're relying on, you're attached to the other being and you're relying on this. I'm like, okay, that's true. And, you know, and then, then, you know, I also ask, well, well, when do rights actually start? And like our, our rights on a gradation, because what about a three-year-old or a, five-year-old but like so i i just don't think it's super i don't think it's super clear i don't think we have shared i mean even on this call all of us by the way are on the more libertarian end i would say of mm -hmm. the spectrum so we would agree on 95 percent of the things that are going on but even the three of us are kind of like arguing about it and like yeah. even for us it's not super clear yeah. um and so i would just encourage us like when you're having these discussions with people just remember that like they're not trying to murder babies. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not trying to take rights away from women. Uh, that's not the goal of either side. Yeah, not not the majority of people on either side, in my opinion. Right. But yeah, majority. Yeah. I think as as complex of an issue it, it is, I think that's to a degree why the federal government needs to step in and say that no government needs to have input currently on this issue. Because as, as you said, this is a deep question of philosophy on a lot of different levels of when rights do start. When Does it start when the, when the fetus starts feeling? Does it start at conception? Does it start the day the woman gets pregnant? Does it start 
at what point um and until we can genuinely nail that down in would be the right word in in strong terms in strong strong terms until it's I don't objective think the and clear and it's, and it's like yeah 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 i don't i don't think the government should be the ones making those choices as to who should and shouldn't be going through it i agree <laughs> the government shouldn't be making those choices no. uh and and i'm just gonna throw in the federal government shouldn't exist okay um <laughs> <laughs> all right wait uh i just um actually juliet do you have any topics that you really wanted to talk about today? Because I feel like we've gone, we've we've talked about some cool stuff, and the abortion thing, uh, I know can get contentious, but it was I found it interesting. So, oh, yeah. uh, I, great conversation, by the way. I really enjoyed talking yeah. to you both. Absolutely. Um, I don't have anything phenomenal today. I've been researching carbon capture pipelines, and like my brain is fried at the moment. But <laughs> I I saw one. <laughs> Really great headline today, actually, this afternoon on um, CNN. It was massive dark money windfall. New conservative group got $1.6 billion from a single donor, right? And then they go into dark money and how they influence elections and politicians and stuff. You know, and just so, like they read all those stories about George Soros. Right, yeah. So then I was like, well, okay. So they're making a – this is CNN. So obviously I should right. <laughs> look into this. Um yeah, so in 2020, a uh, Democrat got 1.5 billion in dark money. So they're made like they're like this is huge. It's the biggest ever. No, it's really not. It's I mean, this is something that happens all the time. This is what we call the pendulum swinging. Um, now some mega donors are dumping money behind the other side, but they're gonna make it seem like it's some kind of collusion and corruption and evil i mean right. even calling it dark money and not just campaign contributions or nonprofit donations that, well, that is money, money sent so go ahead john sorry i, I, I was, I was saying no no I, I stepped on your toes i apologize <laughs> i was saying that's an odd inflection to call it dark money when it is just campaign contributions <laughs> like right well it's yeah. anonymous and and here's the thing because of the current culture if you're giving to a non-woke cause, you basically want to do it anonymously. Otherwise, you'll be crucified, right? right. So I would expect that most donations to non-wokey stuff are is in the dark, and most donations to wokey stuff is out in public bragging about mm -hmm. it on Twitter because right. that's the culture we're in. Um, so I, you know, I don't really care whether it's anonymous or not. I mean, you know, if you're Elon Musk and you want to donate a billion dollars, you're not going to. To like some conservative or libertarian thing, you're not gonna say you're not gonna want anyone to know who it is. Yeah, this is a very fair point. I mean, we we do have this really bad stigmatism in our nation right now around any approach to the right whatsoever, mm -hmm. and it's not how anybody changes anything. The GOP undoubtedly has problems. They have corruption issues. We've seen it with the loyalists of the party, the people who refuse to ever hold their own party members accountable for things. The fact that Bush has never been held accountable for any war crimes that were committed under his administration, the fact that we never did the same for Barack Obama, we haven't held anyone accountable no matter which side held power. And I think 
there won't be any change until people start making it okay to approach the right again and to be involved with the right and to actually create dialogue with them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, don't worry. We're going to hold Trump accountable for some tweets. (laughs) Uh, Don't get me wrong. There were things (laughs) that the man undoubtedly did that were wrong. We committed drone strikes that were unnecessary. We sold ammunition to Saudi Arabia that were used to bomb school buses in Yemen. That was terrible. We even gave control of the coalition forces in Yemen to Saudi Arabia, which was a very poor decision. (laughs) But to just pretend that the other political parties and the presidents and the actual political establishment didn't do the exact same behavior is nothing short of hypocritical. We know that Barack Obama did the same things. We, we, we saw it throughout his presidency. We know that Bush did the exact same things throughout his presidency. It's odd for them to bring these things up as though they're crimes that should be prosecuted, but they'll never go towards the other side with the exact same attitude. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Daria Dugina, who's her murderer? Do you, anyone have thoughts? Uh, <laughs> Alexander Dugan's daughter. Oh, was, oh, I didn't I didn't know her name. Uh mm, 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 mm. that is a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, I, I have I have a guess. It's a three letter word that starts with C and ends with A. Uh, possibly. Now, now, speaking reasonably, there are a lot of people in Ukraine who are disturbingly pro-Ukraine. You have uh, former, um, not prime ministers, but former parliament members who at one point said that the goal and obligation of Ukraine is to lead the white races of the world against the uber races of the Jews and to eradicate them all. They had neo-Nazi military parties. They had neo-Nazi military groups that were active in the country who were committing beheadings in Donbass and other separatist sure, forces of Ukraine. Been doing that. Yeah. yeah. So you have individuals who were already acting before the government took any action against these regions and the government simply stepped back and ignored them. So it's not unreasonable to think there might be some individuals in Ukraine who are now engaging in terroristic activities in Russia. They do border one another. It's entirely possible. It's also very possible that Russia planted the bomb themselves in order to stir up a story to better strengthen national morale around the war. You have a high-profile patriot's daughter killed by terrorists or insurgents. So a red flag. Yeah, Yeah. a false flag operation. False flag or something. Also, there's always the possibility that that the CIA did get involved, and they want to keep the war ongoing because it's financially lucrative for backers within the defense sector, and it's lucrative to keep Russia in combat with another nation and spending money on this level and creating friction with other international members. I think we can put number one and three together there for you and say, like, I think it's the, the presence of those people in in Ukraine, the Azov and that uh, that contingent have been supported by uh, Western governments, you know, by CIA. Like they, they helped they helped uh, with the revolution. <laughs> right. They they they, they helped uh, change the government. They've got a history of doing this kind of thing. And so. Um, it could end up being some Ukrainian, but really was it had the backing and support of 
a network of mm-hmm. uh, American intelligence agency. Something intelligence. similar to the way Al Qaeda operated in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. It's it's entirely a possibility. We've seen over the last twenty years exactly how gruesome our government can be. The Freedom of Information Act is a godsend that it got passed, and we have found out so much. A, gr- a great example, um, we know our government will actively lie to spur on wars. Declassified audio logs from the Lyndon B. Johnson administration prove that the Gulf of Tonkin incident did not happen and that yep. Johnson was actively involved in orchestrating forces against North Vietnam before we ever declared war on the country. Like we were actively instigating a conflict with that nation and they lied directly to Congress, directly to the public about it, claim that we were under attack by this foreign power. And if they're willing to do that in that era, we're now in an era where they control much more of the media. They control what can be dictated as true and false. We see it with Twitter a lot. We see it with the other social media companies where somebody can get banned simply for expressing opinions that aren't considered acceptable by the administration what is to say that we wouldn't lie to create more wars to create more issues in order to make more financial con- contributions to the people who are upholding the parties yeah julia what's your thought to, on this? i i have to say um to me it screams like organized crime she was probably oh, okay. easier to get at than her father and he's, you know, I mean, he's up there. So sometimes when you can't get the person you're after, you take out a family member to send the message. You know, it just that's kind of how it felt to me. I mean, who knows? But first thing so I So this is was, like a war between oligarchs. Yeah, there was some there's some other side of this. We have no idea what's going on. And that that, you know, they understand that message. And we're just like, what? why would they kill her? Who knows? I mean, that's a really great point. We've seen over the last few months, different oligarchs have had their assets seized. We've seen them arrested. So there's definitely some internalized strife within the elite of Russia. And that could have easily led to the situation unfolding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good point. I don't know. I, I still. In 20 years, maybe we'll some documents will be unsealed. and we'll... <laughs> Right. Oh, right. It, it'll have an it'll have a cool right. name like. Operation Thumb Drive. That was when they, that's 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 when the CIA in 2022 <laughs> orchestrated the bombing. And yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Bush and Dick Cheney to pass away and for them to declassify that 9/11 Ugh. inside job. Because <laughs> they're, they're going to wait until everyone involved dies. Because that's what they did every other time. The uh, we'll be US... dead before they release that information. Exactly. Because I mean, they they wait so long. Um, well, a, a fascinating uh, part of Cuba's history. The island of Cuba only exists as an independent country because the, if I'm not mistaken, it was the, uh, oh, I am forgetting the name of the gentleman's early, it was, it was late 1890s, the president at the time. I cannot remember that president's name to save my life. But anyways, the administration at the time lied to the American people and the Congress about the sinking of the USS Maine. Um, it was reported that the USS Maine sunk because it struck a Spanish mine that was in the area around the island of Cuba at the time. But the reality McKinley. Later, I just yeah, Googled by the way. Yeah, it was McKinley. that's what it was. It was McKinley. Um 
McKinley's administration pushed that narrative, but the reality of the inspection at the time that was presented to the naval corps was that gunpowder was releasing fumes, and because the holes themselves were not perfectly pressurized within the ship, you had fumes building up in between the holes, and then the hole would get hot near the furnace, and it would ignite these fumes, and we would see explosions. Several explosions came after the sinking of the USS Maine that this later was the result of um but we didn't find out that the main was sunk due to internal reasons until roughly 40 years after the incident we went to war with spain and liberated the island of cuba completely on a lie yeah not and not the only time in our history oh yeah oh yeah so yeah i think the only thing i'm gonna i'm okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try and argue with you about one thing but i think you're gonna agree with me Okay. I think we, and when I say we, I mean us, three of us, I think we should stop using the word we when we're referring to things that government <laughs> officials and deep state bureaucrats have done. We didn't do shit. That's a very The U.S. government did. Well, that, that, that's a valid argument. I, don't get me wrong. It is. But then at the same time, you always have the other people who say, well, then technically the German people didn't do anything during World War II. But they, they certainly did allow the Nazis to reach power. And is sure. there a certain amount of blame on the population for the things the government they've allowed in power to do? Well – if if you were around at the time and voted for McKinley and supported him, then I would say you do share some blame. But I was not. I'm old, sure, but I'm not that old. And so I refuse to take blame for what McKinley did or yeah, didn't you know, do. That's a, that's a very fair point. You know, and, and I'm not going to take blame for anything George Bush or Obama did because I didn't vote for them either. Uh, so. <laughs> So sometimes when when I think about this topic and this discussion, I hearken back to the Declaration of Independence where we say the power of the government comes from the consent of the governed, and I can't help but think that the government would never have the power to harm these people, to bomb these foreign countries, to destroy other portions of the world if we didn't consent and give them that power. And at times, I can't help but feel some blame when I see other people going through strife at the hands of my government. Right. That's because oh, they want yeah. you to believe the lie that uh, that uh, <laughs> legitimacy arises from the consent of the governed. Uh, it would if it was unanimous. But yeah. you know what? It's not unanimous. So I don't care what 51% of you do. I wasn't in that 51%. So I'm not taking credit for or blame <laughs> for the way you've run the nation or whatever. Like, well, that's very fair. That then brings the philosophical question of when good men do nothing, are they good men, though? Watching other people do evil things and not stepping up to stop it and fight against it, or does that still leave you without blame? And it, I find well, it all I think, to be very I think we don't have to worry about that because we are doing something. We're talking about it. Exactly. We, we are creating dialogue and trying to facilitate change. Yeah. Yeah. So um. – <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah. I, I think another philosophical question for another day is when did math and ethics get conflated? That's a, that's a, one of my, one of my favorite obvious mistakes is like, 
Oh, to consent to the government. If you vote, blah, 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 blah. oh, so stats or ethics? I missed that in philosophy. Thank you so much. It makes philosophy so much easier. Stats or ethics? Done. Uh, absolutely. I think that is a, that, that is a great philosophical question because then you have the, the majority of the country at one point did support slavery. Like the yeah. majority of people within the nation did support the right to own somebody else at some point, but that never made it ethical. And we recognize that in that conversation. So I'm sure we can recognize in other conversations that just because a lot of people have agreed to it never makes it right. Yeah, I would, I would hope, but yeah. all right. Any, uh, we're coming up on two hours, so we should probably wrap it up. Uh, John, do you have any final comments or or thoughts that you want to share with the audience and 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 remind people where they can find you as well? Absolutely. You can find me at wrongspeak.net. I'm always publishing articles with them. I also recently secured a position as a senior content writer for the420link.com. That's a social media application for medical cannabis users. It's multi-state. You can get on, become involved with different cannabis educators, cannabis chefs, people who are involved with the actual industry of opening their own businesses, shops, swag apparel, and things like that. So it's a great opportunity for people who don't know a lot about cannabis who want to learn more to get involved and it's also a great opportunity for people in the industry to network and build something more for themselves cool and juliet what's your final word of wisdom for everyone <laughs> i don't know uh, word of wisdom um question everything and if it's on cnn it's a lie that's my word of wisdom for the day well said <laughs> See, that was easy. You thought you were getting put on the spot, but it was totally simple. <laughs> you got that taken care of. All right. We well, uh, thank you, John. Um, Thanks for having me, As a reminder to everyone, Juliet and I will be back next Monday uh, for another episode of Narrative Dissonance. And uh, I don't know. There's probably some other outro stuff I'm supposed to say, but whatever. Have a good day. Roll the credits, Beverly. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may increase your carbon footprint. Please eat the bugs to offset your impact. Association with the following co-conspirators will result in a fine of 150 ESG points. I think we can agree that the FBI's track record speaks for itself. Experts agree that 87,000 new tax collectors will make inflation feel like less of a problem. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, 
scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.